0: I just wanted to take a few minutes uh, thinking about uh, the Easter story. Inevitably, we call today Good Friday. Um, And very often on a day like this, we we switch straight away and we look at the time where Jesus is being crucified. But there's a really significant event, uh, Gethsemane, uh, the night before. Uh, And in lots of ways, I, I think that Gethsemane actually explains the next day. Uh, So rather than Gethsemane being this uh, brief moment where we see Jesus under incredible emotional, uh, psychological, spiritual strain, it's actually almost prophetic in the sense that it speaks into the next day. It explains for us in advance the following events. Uh, Obviously, uh, in popular depiction, if anybody's seen The Passion of the Christ, um, the the real emphasis of Gethsemane in much of popular depiction is the fear of Jesus in facing the physical trials uh, of the next hours. Uh, I think there is an element of that, inevitably, there is the humanity of Jesus in that uh, reality, of the pain of crucifixion. But there's another question I think that we just need to just pause and ask. There are many, many people, uh, not just martyrs in the Christian faith, but believers in many other situations, people who have been brave in many other events, who have faced death unflinching. Uh, And yet what we see is Jesus facing death in a surprising way for somebody who even knows what the outcome is going to be. (laughs) So I think what we actually see straight away is that there is a deeper level. There is a crisis of relationship that we see breaking out over the next hours in the relationship with the Father and the Son. It is primarily a spiritual issue which is going on in Gethsemane. But I just want to pick out three little thoughts and then see how it applies to us today. The first is this. We're reading from the uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, and verse 35 and 36 says this. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, our first thoughts are, well, inevitably, that Jesus is asking that uh, the Father would take that moment away. Uh, There are many who would say that that plays into the fear of the next hours. But Jesus says something absolutely remarkable. He says it is possible for you to take this next event away. He prays if it's possible that this hour might pass from him. And then he says, everything is possible for you. Here we have Jesus in the garden, and he's saying to the Father, it's possible for this crucifixion event not to take place. It's possible for you to do this. What is the crucifixion all about? Uh, there's a hymn which speaks about the crucifixion being the moment where love and justice meet. It's a great idea. It's a, it's a really powerful thought. If we if we take anything away, that maybe that's something to just dwell on. It's the moment where the love of God and the justice of God meet together. Love expressed in sacrifice, justice expressed in the convicted sinner. Now, if we take either of those aspects away, we remove something of God. We can't take either side of that away. That equation can't work. If we say that God can forgive sinners in love without justice, then He's no longer just. If we say that he can forget about justice and save Jesus, then he's no longer love. So, we've got, a, we've got a quandary there. What does Jesus mean when he says, this is possible for you? I think it's this. He's recognizing that at that very moment, the whole plan of salvation is not something that God is bound to commit, that God is bound to complete. Or I'll put it another way. We see the determination of the Trinity to pursue salvation. In other words, God is at that moment in the Father, in the Son, empowered by the Spirit. Jesus says it's possible. How is it possible? It's possible for the Father to save the Son and salvation not to be worked out on the cross. That could have happened. That is how it's possible. And yet, God is determined to pursue salvation. That's great news, isn't it? It's great news that at that moment, the Father and the Son did not back away. But they made sure that the plan was enacted. So that's the first thing. There's a willingness of the Trinity to pursue salvation. The second thing that we see is the contrast of Jesus to his disciples. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? returning the third time he said to them are you still sleeping and resting enough the hour has come look the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners here we've got this picture jesus takes his disciples into this place cook place called gethsemane or in the aramaic gadsmane it actually means oil press that's what gethsemane means oil press It's a place where olives, close to where they're picked, are processed. They're crushed, uh, and then they're pressed. For those who were able to be uh, at the presentation after my trip to Israel, one of the things I found fascinating was we went into a reenacted Nazareth village in the time of Jesus. And there was a replica of an original oil press. One of the things that they said, as we were looking at this oil press, is that olive oil is pressed in three stages. There is the first pressing, which brings the virgin olive oil, the extra virgin olive oil that we all go out and we sprinkle on our salad. The next pressing, the second pressing, brings out an olive oil which is used for general use. And then the third pressing brings out a mixture of oil and water, which is later refined, which is used for lighting, for uh, lighting lamps and fueling lamps. Three pressings. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is pressed three times in the garden, which is called Gethsemane? the oil press. It reminds me of a verse in Isaiah chapter 53. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Three occasions where we see not just the father deciding not to do something by saving his son rather than seeing him crucified, but deciding to do something, impressing him. And yet the contrast is the disciples who couldn't stay awake. In this climactic moment, they've just shared the the last supper together, there is this moment inevitably of intensity as in the evening they travel out to Gethsemane and they fall asleep. Three occasions, while the father is pressing the son, crushing him in preparation for the true crushing of the next day, people like you and me are falling asleep. What a contrast. The third thing I note is the unsupported nature of salvation. The unsupported nature of salvation. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, Are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? That actually is a very short watch. If ever you're out in the in the wilds, there's a Bear Grylls series on at the moment where they're trooping around um, the, the, the wilds and that they they set up a watch through the night, and it's two or three hours. I think it's two hours. And Jesus says, couldn't you even stay awake one hour on watch? This is not a big thing. It's something that you are used to in our culture, and yet you couldn't do it. And when he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And when he spoke to them, they did not know what to say to him. (laughs) I I put myself in that position. Somebody who I've spent three years with, and I've seen remarkable things going on, everything tells me that there's something dramatic happening in the next hours. And then Jesus says to us as a group, just watch for an hour. And He goes, and He comes back, and when He comes back, we see that there are streaks of blood on His face because of the intense pressure that He is under. We read in one of the other Gospels that uh, Jesus' sweat, drops of blood, that's a physiological event which is well known to us now. When somebody is under extreme pressure, that can occur. We're not talking about Jesus just wandering off and coming back with a smile on his face. And he says to us, couldn't you watch for an hour? What's the result deep down inside? We're absolutely speechless. We do not know what to say. We have nothing to give. There is no reasonable explanation. And yet, that pattern of the unsupported Jesus speaks into the next hours. At that moment, or as this story unfolds, Jesus says, right now, stand up. Here come my adversaries. And they come and He is arrested. What One of the other Gospels says that at that very moment, all of the disciples are scattered. There's one disciple that seems to follow him from a distance. It's Peter. And Peter is recognized by one of the servant girls. Weren't you with him? No, not me. With oaths and curses, he denies his relationship with Jesus. In other words, what we see laid out in Gethsemane, is exactly what happens over the next hours. Jesus pursues salvation absolutely alone, without any help, without any comfort, without any support. That is not a surprise. Psalm 69 and verse 20 says this, "'Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless.'" I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. Three little pictures that we see from Gethsemane. The determination of God to pursue salvation, the contrast of Jesus to the disciples, and the unsupported nature of redemption. That's great, isn't it? But what does it mean for us? What does it mean that the Trinity were determined to pursue salvation for you and me today? I think it guarantees the effectiveness of being saved, doesn't it? If the Father and the Son and the Spirit are absolutely determined in that moment to pursue the work of salvation, then when you and I today put trust in that salvation, there is exactly the same determination that the Father and the Son and the Spirit work out in our lives. He will bring to fruition what He has begun. He will bring to completion what He has started. That's our guarantee. We see the guarantee of salvation in Gethsemane. Secondly, we see the contrast of Jesus to His disciples How often do we live believing that our salvation is is rooted on our performance? Am I good enough to be a Christian? Am I good enough to be saved? Am I doing the right things? What I love is that Jesus saved His disciples when they were speechless and had absolutely no response. I want to encourage you. It is not about your performance. It is not about what you or I do. It's actually about finding hope in those moments where we end up knowing that we're speechless before God. We have no answer. There is nothing that we can say. He speaks to us and actually those words, couldn't you stay awake for one hour? It sounds initially like an an accusation. And yet, I reckon that the disciples reflected back and realized, no, we couldn't. (laughs) We couldn't even do that. But He saved us. What great news. It guarantees that our salvation is not dependent upon our performance. So, if that's the bit that tells us that what we don't do doesn't affect our salvation, what does the fact that Jesus was alone tell us? There were many moments over those next hours where all of the disciples had the opportunity to put their hand up in the air and stand alongside Jesus and say, I am with you. I'll, I'll point to just one moment. Simon of Cyrene, a completely unknown, carries Jesus' cross to Golgotha, where Jesus collapses and un, is unable to bear His cross. If any of the disciples had been what they had previously been, they would have been walking alongside Him as He made His way, and they would have been the first port of call To carry the cross with him and yet Jesus was alone he had to be alone why because our salvation can never be contributed to by us if we can't do something if we can't if we are saved when we don't do stuff we're also saved not because we do stuff The disciples did nothing. They contributed nothing. They brought nothing. And yet they are saved. I love the fact that at that moment in time, the the disciples were not just those who were inactive, silent, helpless. They were also those who were not in their minds pursuing the things to do. I want to encourage us this morning that we can't even contribute by doing stuff. So where we might feel guilty about the things that we haven't done, don't rest any confidence either in the things that we have done. It's all about Jesus. It's about ultimately what He did That's why it's faith and not acts of salvation. It's a faith of salvation. It's believing in what He has done, not having a foundation on what we have done. So, Gethsemane. We can think maybe today as we go home about the events of that first Good Friday, but maybe what we've been able to see is that the hours before prepare us for the day. What actually unfolds is only what was said in that evening in that garden.